Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello and welcome to today's Heartlift. We are in for a treat today, my dear Heartlifters. We have Miss Amy Julia Becker, and we are going to be talking about her just hot off the press, newly launched To Be Made Well, an invitation to wholeness, healing, and hope. And Amy hosts the Love is Stronger Than Fear podcast. And Amy, Julia, as of two and a half weeks ago, when I had a serious encounter with Jesus at 3 a.m. in the morning from 1 John 4, 7 through 21, where he says, perfect love cast out all fear. I don't think I understood what it meant to be loved by God. And I've been walking with him for four decades, over four decades. So I cannot wait to hear more of your story. And I can't wait to tune in to find out more about love is stronger than fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need it. Welcome. Welcome. Well, thank Amy you. Julia. It's great to be here. I'm really, <laughs> yeah, really delighted to be talking with you today. Your book just came out. Give us how was launch day for you? I, I, I am an author and my listeners just are so many want to be authors or are authors. Yeah. And so I always try to hold, hold the journey of becoming and being, uh, being an author in hand with what we talk about too. So how was launch day for you? You know, it was great. So this, um, many months ago, we realized that we were planning a spring break trip as a family over the same week as the book launch. And my husband and I were like, hmm, I'm not sure that's going to work. Wow. We have three kids and two of them had two weeks off in March. One did not have any time off. Where do you live? Sorry. uh, Sorry. Say that again. Where, what area? Connecticut, Connecticut. That's right. I just read that. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I just asked you that. Our oldest daughter had two half days last week. So we decided that on my husband would go to Florida early with the two who were off. And then on Tuesday, the book launched and Penny went to school and I did like a slew of interviews and I packed up and I picked her up from school and we flew to Orlando and we went to Disney World, which seemed so appropriate. Like, what that are you doing amazing. when you publish your book? I go, I'm going go to, to Disney World. World. <laughs> <laughs> you won the Super Bowl. That's amazing. Yes, pretty much. So now that, uh, that my friend, I think is one heck of a way to launch a book. It really was. I mean, it was not actually by design, but it worked out great. That is so amazing. How old are your children? Just for the audience. Yeah. So Penny is 16. William is 13 and Marilee's 11. What is your secret to the fountain of youth? Oh gosh. Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) That is not flattery. That is really truth. I was not expecting you to say that. Wow. That's amazing. I love it. Were they How were yours? I launched my first book when my twins were 14, 15. Yeah. So I moons ago. Yeah. So the, my first book, um, it's called a good and perfect gift came out in 2011. So Penny was five. Um, and then Marilee was an infant. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then I wrote it. I mean, each one takes a long time. 
Probably in general, but especially with, and then there was one that came out in 2014. So, you know, they were kind of whatever that would be, eight yeah. or one or something. Yeah. That, no, Marilyn was older than that. Anyway, and then no need to do math. came out in 2018. Yeah, I'm a writer. I know. <laughs> and, I, know. Uh, I say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And then this one. So, you know, every three to four years, a book is wow. able to emerge in the midst of this family situation. I love that you are continuing to do that alongside of being a mother. I think it emulates a beautiful picture for all of your, for all three of your children. Oh, thank you. you know? Yeah. I mean, they, it's fun. They, they, I think really appreciate, like they're glad that I have uh, this vocation and um, I think it feels special to them that I get to write books. Yeah. Why this book? Why to be made well? What a beautiful name. Every perfect, every good, that one is just so amazing. Thank um, you. But to be made well, what a beautiful, beautiful name. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We originally wanted the book to be called Made Well, um, mm. but there's a clothing brand. There is. I was just <laughs> going to say, I have ordered from that company. <laughs> um, but I'm actually really glad because it did shift mm-hmm. it to, to be made well, mm-hmm. which allows for um, a lot, like there's a resonance from a story in the Bible when Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Like it's a question that Jesus oh, It's asked. one of my favorite questions. Yeah. Right. So I think there's that resonance. And then there's also this sense of um, what does it mean to be made well? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and have yeah. we been made well? Are we being made well? I mean, there's a lot that there's, pro- there's the yeah. a journey in it. You know, because be the word be is twofold to me. It's active, but yet it's who we should. Right. We just need to be. Yeah. You know, so I love it so much. What? Why that book right now yeah. in your life? So in some ways, this book has been in the making, I mean, for many, many years, mm-hmm. whether that is tracing back to even an experience in high school that I write about in the introduction where yes. I had a paralyzed stomach. How that- on earth? share with everyone. Right. I mean, I have a paralyzed <laughs> esophagus. It does not work anymore. It's mm. called achalasia. So okay. when I read that, I went, Oh, please don't. <laughs> I was yeah. like, no, no, no. One paralyzed organ is enough. Right. Well, how does that happen? Is no longer paralyzed. So um, it was God. not a permanent condition, although it was true for years. Um, and, and really there's no medical explanation. I mean, it might be that I got a virus that prompted a shutdown, but I think there was more of a mental, um, and emotional component to it where I think I, uh, really didn't know how to feel. I knew how to do, and I knew how to perform and achieve, and I didn't know how to feel. And I think I internalized all of these feelings that I didn't know how to feel. And then my body shut down. I mean, I, that's what I think happened. Oh, I as could I not back. agree with you more. And then I also think there was a physiological aspect to that because okay. I did find years later, a journal where I had written, I pledged to myself that I will only eat X number of calories per day. And I was really living on like a subsistence diet. I mean, if you look at what they say, yeah, you can survive on this, but you're not, um, your metabolism is just going to slow down, slow down, slow down. So I think my body was actually doing Mm -hmm. some self-protection by not processing food. And yet it also, that was ultimately a really scary thing. Um, But then because of where I was psychologically, I wasn't really that upset that I had a paralyzed stomach. It was kind of sure. Oh, I get it. Okay. Well, that's easier than having to watch what I eat because anything I ate sat in my stomach and then essentially came back up, but it wasn't, um, 
to be a little bit too graphic no. about this, there was no stomach acid. So it was regurgitated food. It wasn't vomit in the it, sense no, of No, like, it couldn't process, right? Right, it couldn't process. It couldn't break um, down. Yes. So that experience over the course of My many years goodness. was an early um, opportunity for me to think about what it means to live, not just in a body, but a body that is connected to mind, emotion, spirit. Um, so kind of put that wow. on a shelf. I, you know, that was not something I was like going to write a whole book about, but it was definitely <laughs> the beginnings of this book. If I look back on it now. And when, when did the, um, vowing, promising writing in your journal. So it's six, like how, what age were you at that point? 15. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 15. That's just peer pressure or. I think there's a combination of things um, mm-hmm. where certainly I was in a social environment where I had lots of friends with eating disorders and I was very conscious of, you know, kind of going through puberty, my body changing and a, had a real perfectionistic sense of what should not change, <laughs> yes. which is to say the number on that scale. Um, and so there was that. I also was at boarding school. So I was away from home, which on the one hand meant that I had a lot more control over what I was eating. I didn't have anyone saying, really? An apple for dinner? (laughs) Uh, Right. Something wrong here. Um, But I also, my dad was a compulsive exerciser and had a very, he ate a lot of calories, but he only ate dinner. So there was definitely some like home stuff where it was like. A little dysmorphic, right. Yes. So there was a lot of different, I think. So you watched that in other words, like one thing we say here in our community is more is caught than taught. And I'm a huge pound the table over the atmosphere, the emotional, mental, relational, spiritual atmosphere in which we are reared. Yeah. You know, and, and how much we just soak in subconsciously. Totally. Okay. So I think I, okay. You know, Thank you for sharing in some physical stuff, but also that emotional piece of like, and if I'm feeling sad or angry or like, or hurt, I, I didn't even have that language, much less the ability to express that. Um, yes. And so I think all of those things together really combined in such a way that I ended up with what was both a physiological paralysis mm-hmm. and a psychological eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to, um, they weren't, they were inseparable. So, yeah. But I tried to separate them. And so sure. that's part of why, <laughs> feeling, you know, took a long time. But then yeah. in terms of this book, I mean, again, it was um, about seven years ago, I was experiencing just consistent lower back pain in such a way mm-hmm. that every night I would wake up in the middle of the night and take oh. an Advil. And Ooh. every day I, I didn't take Advil during the day, but I would be like, oh, I can't pick you up. No, you can't sit in my lap. I don't think I can lift that. Like it was impeding my life. And yeah. I thought, what is going on? I do not want to live like this. And so I tried all sorts of different things and ended up having an experience with a yoga teacher where we sat down face to face, cross-legged, which did not feel good to my back or my tail, no. which had already started or also started to hurt. Um, And I told her, I think there's something that is um, out of alignment in my body. So I thought yoga might be able to help. And she said, anytime Mm. I hear the word alignment, I think about your life and not about your body. Wow. And I started talking and we never moved 
And we did not move for an hour. I just talked oh, I about believe it. <clears throat> feeling like I was losing my identity and I couldn't keep up with actually any writing work because I had these three children and my husband had a big job and I was just like losing myself. And over the course of that hour of talking, my back, um, I mean, it was a, it was a freedom. It was a healing, but I was wow. very confused as a Christian. Yes. I was confused for a couple of reasons. Like Thank one you for your as, honesty. I can't. Yeah. Like as a Christian, I was like, what just happened? Because exactly. this person about who is a yoga teacher, a yoga teacher, yoga. like what's going on. And then also I was confused because I was like, but I'm not any better. My life is still a mess. I said that to her and she said, you know, for healing to happen, you don't need to figure everything out, but you do need to acknowledge the source of the pain. So Say that, that one more time, man. That's yeah, a lean in. That's a lean in. Everything out, but you do need to acknowledge the source of the pain. And that was just that word of truth wow. to me that led me on a healing path that um, for me led me back to Jesus and to saying, mm-hmm. wait a second. I've so often treated the healing stories in the gospels as a way to understand Jesus's power, Jesus's compassion, what it means for, you know, how love works. But I've essentially thought those happened back then because now we have antibiotics. And I really wanted to ask the question, is there more going on here in terms of both? What a great question. Connection of mind, body, spirit, the connection that uh, the restoration and healing God wants us to have within ourselves, with God with other people. Um, and so that really was, you know, that was seven years ago. And that led me on a personal journey that eventually led into this book. Wow. Before we hit record, which is when some of the best happens, yeah. you had mentioned that in high school, you had gone to a young life camp yeah. at that time during, was that during the paralysis of your stomach that yeah. whole season? Okay. I'd yeah, love for you to so share I- that. Let's see. So after my freshman year in high school, when I was still, you know, more or less healthy, I had gone to Saranac for a young life camp um, and it had been fine. It had been fun. You know, I was a church going ish kid and thought okay. this is great. And then it was my sophomore year where I had been hospitalized and my paralyzed stomach. And I was in a desperate place where I just thought I need to know whether God is actually real. And if God actually cares about me, because mm-hmm. I am. I, you know, I was really, really sick and I'm not doing well. Everything in my life was being taken away from me. Mm-hmm. So I went back to that young life camp in a much, I mean, I literally was only drinking cans of Ensure. That was the only wow. nutrition I was getting because everything else was coming out of my body. So it's like, this is not good. Um, and I had a profound experience in which I really felt like I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is looking back on that, I mean, my stomach did not change. Like I did not get better in a physical or emotional way for a long time, but I did begin a relationship with Jesus that was personal and real and life-changing. And ultimately I believe was what led me to that deeper healing. And so those things really did intertwine. And for me, it was an experience of deep need that Mm -hmm. led me to say, God, I need you. Right. And if you're real, I need you and I will do whatever it takes um, mm-hmm. to be a part of the work that you're doing in my life and around me. And yeah, that was, you know, 30 years ago. And, and here I am. Wow. Can I ask if, or is it, may I ask, I always get can and may mixed up. Um, I think it's may I, I don't know. 
But anyway, um, where, what surrounded you in that period of time? Like, how did your parents respond? How did peers respond? Teachers? Uh, did you go to therapy? Yeah. So I will say my, my best friend at the time is a woman named now, or, you know, her last name now is Feliciano. So Nero Feliciano. Um, and she's a psychotherapist now. And she just read, you know, to be made well. And we've been talking about it. She's got her own book coming out soon. Like anyway, we're both people of faith, et cetera. And she was like, AJ, I did not know any of this and you were my best friend. So I definitely wow. kept a lot inside. So I want to say that as a, um, just a, mm-hmm. because, and I knew, I mean, Nero to this day, she's a therapist because she's always been the person you go right. to when you need right. to talk about something. A safe talk. person. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and she was absolutely safe at the time. And apparently mm-hmm. I still was not talking to her about any of this. Um, my parents, I would say, again, have some like, emotional maturing that maybe didn't happen. And it was hard to therefore deal with a daughter. And I have three younger siblings. My dad, you're the the oldest. I'm the oldest of four girls. Um, Oh my. Yeah. My dad, we lived in Connecticut, but my dad worked in Manhattan. And um, I mean, he, so my dad, when I say compulsive exercising, he exercised for about an hour, twice a day, seven days a week. Mm. And so there was just a sense of not only was I seeing the compulsive exercising, but also he was not very present because he also sure. worked in Manhattan and commuted. Commuted. So, right. And then I went to boarding school, you know, so there was wow. just not a tremendous amount of like emotional support. And I think I had been taught that I wasn't supposed to need that. Yes. I was going to ask that. that. Mm-hmm. Both culturally and in my family. Mm-hmm. So sounds I, like I, it was like the, um, the incubator of high functioning yeah. So I, yes. I, and I was, I was high functioning the whole time. I mean, I think that's so like, it's a, it's a side project for me when I finally raced to my PhD, because I, I have seen so many myself included mm. who are so high functioning. That's not an ego thing. That's just a type push thing. I don't even know what that is. It's like, that's what I'd love to wrestle with. Yeah. You know, it's like, but that's how you were shaped and formed probably was in your DNA firstborn la 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 but then it goes to the very very unhealthy side right and you don't give yourself permission to be real or average you can be needy or I mean, need, again, be needy I felt like yeah. the only honestly I did I feel like the the support I got was from the lord in that time mm-hmm. Wow. Um, And I'm really grateful for that. But even I remember being kind of taken to see therapists, which again, if I look back on it, I'm like, my parents did not resist that. And yet they also weren't like, I'm sure this will help. So I saw a lot of therapists like once or twice. And then I would be like, yeah, it's not helping. I hear Um, that. Yeah. (laughs) See that a lot. Yes. And I remember feeling really protective of my family in those sessions where I was like, why are you asking me those questions about my dad? So it was very much like, no, we're not going you feel to feel dishonoring. Like I'm, I'm women my age in the sixties and seventies. That's still to this day. Yeah. Are like, Oh, I, I mean, she was a good mom. And I'm like, this is not a question of love. Right. Right. It really isn't, but it's so difficult Yeah, because we so want to honor our parents. And no matter I what. I really wanted, I mean, I really wanted and thought that my worth came from being perfect. I really did. Like, yeah. um, I and so it. 
you know, throughout this time, once my weight was stable enough that I didn't need to be in the hospital, um, I just started telling people, cause people asked all the time, like, are you still sick? Is everything okay? And I literally be like, ah, I still throw up occasionally, but my weight is stable. Everything is fine. And it's like, by occasionally, I mean, every meal, I mean, every meal, you know, oh, so it's wow. like, I'm not fine at all. I'm terrible. But, um, right. But you would never have given yourself permission to do that. I would assume. I also think that this is, I'm sure true for many people mm-hmm. you talk with healing usually feels worse at first, you know, oh, it's like awful. Oh, you got to strip it all down yes. and you got to deal with all the infection and dig it out and it's painful and it's gross mm-hmm. and you know hard conversations and boundaries yeah. and All yes ma'am yes I think there was also a part of me that was like this isn't working all that well but it is better than having to deal you know <laughs> so oh heartlifters I want you to hear that because I preach that all the time yes it's so hard it is not easy but it is empowering but you have to make sure you have the proper support, you know, underneath you. And I know in high school at 15, 16, I certainly did not. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm a heck of a lot older than you, but, um, it's still, it, there still is that, um, barrier as you talk about in to be made well barriers with mental health and emotional health and relating that as being a follower of Jesus, would you agree or disagree with that? And you do not have to answer. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I do think so. I think it can, I think there are a couple, um, different ways that we, we can think that all we need is prayer and that there's something wrong with us. If by praying, we're Mm -hmm. not getting kind of the solution, you know, um, or that like healing is a matter of having enough faith. I mean, that was something in writing. This oh, that's book. huge. It was so good for me to recognize that like there's, you know, there's that passage where Jesus is in the boat and there's the storm mm-hmm. and they come to him and they say, don't you care if we drown? And he calms the storm. And then he says, oh, you have little faith. He so does. it's like, okay, they had little faith and he calmed the storm. Like oh. Their faith is not what prompted the action on Jesus's part. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So it's like, Thank there are you. a lot of, everyone take a sigh, big sigh of relief. Yeah. And I really think, um, you know, even from a medical perspective, there's a lot of times where we need to basically be able to, um, interrupt a destructive cycle. And I think yes. that both antidepressants and medication, mm-hmm. like physical, like painkillers mm-hmm. can interrupt Really, if that's what we keep doing in our societies, we just mm-hmm. keep the interruption going instead of saying, no, no, the interruption is so that you can do the healing work. So uh-huh. I think that, and actually, honestly, even therapy can be a good mm-hmm. interruption. I agree. 100%. Keep going back to therapy, back to therapy, back mm-hmm. to therapy, and don't do that deeper healing work. Yeah, you want the therapist and, to do the work for you. Right. And so yeah. and you want Advil to do the work for you. You do. Or Prozac. I am. I take an antidepressant. I, I'm not ashamed to say it, yep. but I did it. I know in my my super spiritual state back in my thirties and forties, I was so like Bible teacher and, uh, you know, I can't, no, you can't take it. I mean, absolutely. Like you just didn't do that in my, my denomination. And so, um, I finally 
I know that I know I try. I really did everything I could. And then in a very serious situation, I thought I'm not going to get through this one. Right. And right. I'd had doctors since I was 16 telling me, you, need you know, I can remember if the Naval hospital, you know, mm-hmm. my, my parents were in the service, you, you need, uh, you know, an antidepressant. And I was like, I don't need that. I mean, it was just, yeah. obviously they saw something I didn't see. Um, but I do remember, um, and in my work today as well, try to do what is possible, right? you know, but like you said, to come alongside and give your body like mine, serotonin, right. uh, that needed it to be able to do the work. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. Right. Yes. So faith and mental health, um, that is something that we definitely, um, cherish and want to talk more about you give us Amy, Julia, AJ, that's so adorable. You give us four barriers to healing mm-hmm. in this book. And I, I am so excited to talk about them. So barrier of distraction, the barrier of shame, the barrier of anxiety, the barrier of status. Yeah. Ugh. So can you just give us a little morsel from each? Yeah, we'll do. Um, so the barrier of distraction is that surface level, um, whether it is the entertainment on by scrolling through any social yeah. media app, the actually the distraction of just um, productivity of getting things done, like what's the next thing on the list? I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. Or the distraction, whether it's of like shopping or drinking wine or watching television, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of those things can keep us on the surface of our lives and they are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when they keep us from paying any attention to the deeper uh, work that God often wants to do, then they can be a barrier to healing. Mm -hmm. Often, I think the reason we distract ourselves as much as we do is so that we don't experience a sense of shame because Mm -hmm. usually I think what we have to identify pretty early on in a healing process is the places where we feel shame. And yeah. uh, for most of us, that comes all out as a not enough. I'm mm-hmm. not good enough in this area. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough worker. I'm not a good enough, you know, exerciser or whatever it is. Yes. Right? I'm just not a enough. good enough church member, a good enough right. yes. parishioner. Good enough Christian. Absolutely. A good enough Christian. Right. And so that's where I think shame can keep us from healing because we're so afraid of actually experiencing those feelings. And, and we're afraid that God actually doesn't want to heal us because yes. if these things are true, then mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know that I get healing, right? Mm -hmm. Then the next barrier would be anxiety, which I believe for many of us fuels a lot of our activity in the world where there's a sense of, I keep going in order to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that if I stop, if I pay attention to pain, if I ask for help, um, if I admit my need, then again, what if love is not real? What if it's not for me? What if healing's not possible for me, right? There's a lot of fear there that can mm-hmm. actually be a barrier to healing. And then finally, status um, is this sense that, especially for those of us who are uh, in a higher socioeconomic position within yeah. our society or con- what's considered higher in our society, Correct. there is a degree of um, both pride and a sense that I am what I do. And so my achievements make me who I am. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And my status makes me who I am. Mm-hmm. And if I, yeah, if I believe that about myself, then I'm never going to surrender to the healing that God has for me. And I'm never going to recognize the need I have for other people. Mm-hmm. So all of those things I think are barriers to healing. The one thing I'll say before we maybe talk more about them is that none of them are barriers that are big enough for God not to be present in them mm-hmm. and able to work even when they're very present with us. So it's mm-hmm. not as though I need to become someone who's like really good at attending and you know <laughs> I'm conquered my shame and my fear yes. and I'm so humble now. Like I, <laughs> it's not like we got to go through all that in order for Jesus to be present and want to heal us, but I think it can be really helpful nevertheless mm-hmm. to actually name those different barriers and recognize how they might be operating in our own lives to help us avoid, ignore, you know, or distract ourselves from Mm -hmm. the very real pain that I think most of us are experiencing both personally and on a social level. Why do you think we do that? And you're, I mean, you are a Princeton graduate, theological Mm -hmm. seminary graduate. I'm so curious. I know that I have read it, but just remind everyone what your um, degree was in. Your... So undergrad, I was an English major with an African-American studies minor. So literature, essentially. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then I got an MDiv, Masters of Divinity from Princeton Seminary, uh, where again, actually, I mean, I wrote my thesis on Flannery O'Connor. So again, oh. <laughs> literary literary minded in both cases, but that was, you know, really just um my favorite aspect of the MDiv was the biblical studies part. What was your take on that? Like what, what I was, was looking, it? Um, I was looking actually at Flannery O'Connor's theology of disability. So how oh. does she incorporate characters with disabilities and what is she trying to say about grace, about God, about humans? Oh, um, yeah. So it was really, Ooh. really to work on. is that a yeah. future book? That you know, every so often I think about returning to it and I, I, yes, I, don't, yes. I don't know. Was there, I'm just so curious, was there a reason you looked at the disability aspect or was that just? Yeah. So our um, oldest daughter, Penny has Down syndrome. And so I have been particularly interested in disability and Mm -hmm. theology uh, really since she was born. So that's Mm -hmm. now 16 years ago. And um, yeah. And so for whatever reason, I guess I just was reminded of Flannery O'Connor somewhere along Mm -hmm. the way in seminary. And I thought no one's really written about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be interesting to explore. So, so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That would be such a great read. I would enjoy that so much Uh, in your own journey. Then what do you think was your, was it, was it all the above that you've already told me, you know, the avoidance of the pain, was it just, ignorance, I would say, you know, not knowing in the beginning, you know, we're not, you didn't have an emotional intelligence, right? but as you grew and developed, I would guess your hunger for studying that and understanding what was going on in your own self. Yeah. I think there are two things. Like I am really convinced that our American culture, Western American culture um, really communicates to us that we are what we do. And so there's a sense of mm-hmm. achievement is what makes you who you are. And mm-hmm. I um, have been given in terms of my body and mind and like socioeconomic position mm-hmm. and even my like faith, right? Like I have been given mm. a lot that allows me to look like I am achieving <laughs> 
the way I'm supposed to be. I'm so thankful. You're so honest, Amy, <laughs> Julia, this is such a conversation that needs to be brought. Well, thanks. Forth. And, and then I think, you know, when I look back at myself as a high school kid, it's like, I had all the achievements, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to Princeton university and I can't keep food in my stomach. I mean, this is not what, going where's the, well. Where's the disconnect? <laughs> There's nothing going this well. This is not going well. Yes. That is so right. There's such so a true. dissonance. I mean, and yet for me, that sense of, for me to lay down my achievements as my place, like the way I receive worth and value mm-hmm. was truly like, well, what will, what will exist, right? What's there? And who am I? An incredibly long process of coming to believe that God's love for me is not conditional, which we say all the time, but mm-hmm. like actually believing that. Um, believe it here in the head. It is, but it is foundational, right? It's not yes. conditional, but it is foundational. And if That's I'm fantastic. going to, and so it's it's so interesting because if I believe that I'm beloved, mm-hmm. doing can come out of that. I mean, it's not as though I'm beloved and that means that I should be passive for the rest of my life. It's like, no, no, like that's where you're achieving so to speak, but like your doing can come out of that being. Yes. But if you think that your doing is what creates your being, yes, then you're going to be really messed up. And that's and I think that's where a lot of us are. And I that's think well said. We need uh, the other thing I will say is I believe that God's healing. Henry Nouwen has a beautiful book mm. called Book of the Beloved, mm-hmm. and in it he writes about bringing our brokenness under the blessing of God, mm. believing that our brokenness is even a part of our belovedness, as opposed yes. to. Over here, I need to get healed and then I will be God's beloved. Yes. Rather like, no, no, no. Like, and you don't even know your brokenness. That's going to be a part of God's healing (laughs) for you and for the world. And so there's just a deep trust in the um, healing love of God Mm -hmm. that I think is like really hard for certainly Americans. I don't know about the rest of the world, but to believe, but if we can Mm -hmm. surrender to belovedness, uh, I think there's a amount of healing that can happen. That's just amazing that you said that. I was just in an engaging conversation about the scripture. I am accepted in the beloved. Mm. It was where my healing journey started in my twenties. And I didn't understand what that meant at all, mm-hmm. but I was trying to deal with roots of rejection in my life. And so I went to the scripture and I thought, what's the difference of rejection? And I looked up in the old strong concordance and found acceptance and went with that. Hmm. Is that a part, like in the very beginning of the book in part one, you have the nature of healing restored to self. Yeah. Is that, is that what you're referring to here that we truly need to be restored. What does that even mean? Because that self word, Amy Julia in the Christian tradition is still not a really beloved word. Yeah. I mean, what comes to mind immediately is love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we don't know how to love ourselves, which I really think means if we don't know how to receive the love God has for us, then we will not know how to love in return. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what I mean by being restored to self, there are really two components to that. One is the mind, body, spirit connection, because we've bifurcated them. Like we've set, you know, divided them into different parts of ourselves instead of recognizing an integrated whole, right. but also so being, um, I'm looking in to be made well at the story of the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years Ugh. and how her healing is not complete when her bleeding stops. In fact, it's like very, that's like 
almost the icing on the cake, right? Jesus mm-hmm. is like, you need to come in front of me. And she's afraid and she doesn't know oh, why. Right. And then when she gets there, it says that she's trembling with fear and she tells him the whole truth. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly what she says, but we know she spills a lot of information about a really hard past and a shameful past. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus says, daughter. Daughter. Oh, it's got chills. That word is a claiming of her. And it is a claiming of her as a beloved child. It's in the context of Jairus, who is a synagogue ruler, who has come to Jesus right immediately. I mean, Jairus is standing there and Jairus has come to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. So this man is begging Jesus for help out of love for his daughter. So when Jesus (sighs) calls his woman daughter, he's saying, this is how beloved you are. So that's (sighs) what I mean by restored to self, right? Like there's a Mm -hmm. sense of um, a an integrated restoration in mind, body, spirit, but also being restored to a sense of ourselves as the beloved. Oh, I just want everyone to get this book, please Mm, to be, oh my gosh, I'm going to pour over it. I'm taking it on the plane when I fly out of here on Sunday. And I just want everyone to really spend time in what you just said, Mm. daughter. Yeah. We Definitely have some guys on here. So I will just say son. Yeah. Right. And I think actually, I mean, this is, I'll say Mm -hmm. one one of the chapters in the book is about the familial language that Mm -hmm. Jesus uses. And one of the things I learned while researching this book is that Jesus only prays to God as father and insists that his disciples do the same. Never, not once in the Old Testament is God prayed to as a father. You get an image of God as so a father, true. but never in prayer. And in the New Testament, that's essentially exclusively. It's exclusively how Jesus our said father. That. It's a exactly our father. That's how you pray. And that is not a patriarchy thing. Mm-hmm. That is a you are part of the family. Yes. Um, the yes. same God who is father is also the one who from whom we are born again, right? Like that sense yes. of God as a mother is right there. So the insistence on father is the insistence on being in a relationship with God where God's primary role is loving parent, yes. not king, judge, ruler. Etc. And it doesn't mean that God is not a king or a judge or those mm-hmm. are bad understandings. And yet, if we don't primarily understand God in the role of parent, loving right. parent, um, and ourselves as beloved but needy and dependent children, then mm-hmm. we're not going to understand who we are. We're not going to understand who God is, and we're not going to be able to participate in that healing work. It's so true. I was, um, and I know I need to let you go. Um, when I was looking through first John four again today, seven yeah. through 21. And I looked at, I know and believe God's love for me. And I took love out again and then perfect love cast out all fear. And I took out those two loves and they're both agape, of course. And we're well aware that's a brotherly love. It's love, right? It's a, it's a familial love. Yeah. But when I started doing my words under the words, under the words, which I love to do, it actually can mean love feast. Mm. As if you're being invited into a home for Sobra Mesa, for a sitting at the table and feasting. Right. And that image was so healing for me today. Mm. I just had to add that because I thought, come to the love feast. Right. You know, and um, I 
would love to know, you know, how are you doing now? How are you doing today physically? Are you still attuned to how important that is? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm actually, I mean, I, that is part of what has happened for me over the course of these seven years has been a much greater attunement to the ways in which my emotional and spiritual, um, the way my body signals emotional and spiritual reality. And so I have noticed like, even just this past week, my Achilles tendon was tight and I was kind of like, Oh yeah, I walked a lot, which I did. I mean, I walked (laughs) many more miles um, on Friday than I have in a long time. So I was dismissive of it. Mm -hmm. And thankfully there was just this little prompt to be like, might I be like, might my body be communicating something to me? And I really was drawn to, um, the idea of being rooted and established in love, like that, that kind of grounded. Yeah. And I was thinking about how there was this situation just this past week that I was really anxious about. And I was letting that anxiety be my nourishment. And so my Achilles, literally I I was running, um, I was taking a run and I was like, my Achilles is really tight. And I just prayed that whole run that I would be rooted and established in love and not in fear, not in anxiety. And honestly, like, there was a healing that happened. Oh my goodness. And I will say on my website, I do have kind of like what I call body prayers and some examples of how, when we're, you know, feeling tension in our shoulders and necks, Mm -hmm. what can we, how we can bring prayer into our bodies and Mm -hmm. how we can bring our bodies to God in prayer and allow the things that are going on in our bodies to be indications of a deeper emotional or spiritual reality. And I don't, it doesn't always mean like in my case, I was within a few hours, my Achilles was better, but mm-hmm. that's not always what happens. No, um, but I think I they're completely related though. And, exactly. And, and I so appreciate you bringing to that to learn us. Learn how mm-hmm. to pay attention to our bodies mm-hmm. um, and trust that God is present with us in our bodies and that that might be leading us into some other uh, ways of understanding, it, it seems really important to me. And it's something that I practice regularly now um, with great gratitude. Beautiful. We will check out those body prayers. You're talking to a, a dancer, I've danced my whole life. So movement is very important to me. And yeah. I actually was thinking about it a lot today that I want to start adding just adding simple movements of mm. dance because that brought me such joy yeah. in my life, probably because I watched. Um, Julianne and Derek Huff <laughs> step into the movies. And I was just Aww. like, oh, I miss dancing. But um, I thank you so much, Amy Julia. And your words are going to be s- just stay with us and uh, speak to us and help us to live a more meaningful life with a body that's that, that embodies us well, right? Mm. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to talk with you about all of these things. I so appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.